Listen, I'd invite you to open up to the book of James near the back of your Bible in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible sitting in front of you. If you don't have one, you're welcome to take that as our gift to you. While you're doing that, I just want to remind you of something that we've been doing and is winding down. This is something that we have been about now for 10 of 12 weeks. 10 weeks ago, we committed to taking the soles of our feet and walking our neighborhoods and just praying for our block once a week for 12 weeks straight. And just basically, we are asking God that, Lord, would would you begin to answer prayers through us? Would you begin to allow us to be outside of our own church? And on this map, on this side of the building are the different places that you can go and see highlighted areas that have been committed to be prayed for for 12 weeks. We have two weeks left of that. And on these, take up a towel. We took up paper towels and wrote our neighborhoods down. And you can just see those on this far wall. And those represent real homes, real people, a whole universe of people that is there that needs Jesus. Here's my challenge and my invitation to you is this. Specific needs are what we're looking for. We intentionally culminated this with our spring workabout, the neighborhood workabout, twice a year going out and just simply meeting needs that are there. We are looking for more needs. And one of the ways that you can do that is just have your eyes open and talk to people. And if you are in a conversation with someone, be looking for tangible, practical ways to be helping them. Uh, If you notice that you're talking to one of your neighbors and you think to yourself, wow, it may be difficult for this person to get on their ladder and do ladder work. If you do ladder work at your house, trimming trees or cleaning gutters or doing whatever else on a ladder, then, then that should just trigger in your mind. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's a way that we could help with that. Weeding is something that is an ongoing issue. Car work, house cleaning, those are the kinds of things that we're looking for. On the back table is a flyer that we put out this week that says this. And what we're asking is this. We want you to take five of these. And of your whole block, it may be a little intimidating to get 37 homes covered with a flyer. But we're asking you to take just five flyers and say, what five homes could I target to specifically talk to people. And one of the ways that has been helpful in the past, it's a little awkward. I'm, I'm thinking about this for my own neighbors and wanting to be of help and not wanting to be an offense. And Rich and I were kind of laughing earlier in the week that if we were to say, you know, hey, do you know of anyone in the neighborhood that needs some help? They might point to your house. And so you may come and work on my home. No, I'm kidding. But what we want to do is, is just be a, a blessing with that. So on the back table today, grab three, grab five that you can personally just get in the hands of someone and say, look, we are wanting to be a good neighbor. We're wanting to just be a blessing. And part of that's just knowing how to be a blessing. The book of James, as you walk in, you see this banner each week. And we have this theme of do or dead. And James has the, this real blunt layout that says these things are present in your life or else you have a dead faith, not a saving faith. And he contrasts those throughout the book. And really the big idea, the big theology behind it is this, that persevering love for the Savior on our part is evidence of a transformed work on his part. It's not that we persevere in love for God so that we'll get saving faith, but rather this preserving faith, this ongoing faith, this persevering Love for the Savior is evidence right now that God has done a work in us and that's either really exciting or really revealing and scary that says, wow, maybe I've been playing some kind of a Christian game for a long time and I'm not really transformed. James chapter 1 verse 9 is where we are at at 9 through 12. And in this first chapter, James, remember by the way, James is 
the author for the ADD, ADHD, hyperactive person in the room. James does not mince words. He doesn't take time. He kind of moves from one thing to the next. Some of you are like, just give it to me in a few sentences before I get distracted. And then you say, look at the cute bunny. And you, you know, you're already distracted before you can even spit those words out. You just need it. And you, and you need the action points. James is a, is, is a, is a book for you. We've been having a great time uh, in our men's group, just kind of looking at the kind of no holds barred. Here's what, what is going on in the book of James. This kind of opening chapter has been really on trials. He jumps right in with trials because he's talking to dispersed Christians who have been displaced because of their faith. He says, rejoice in them, that they're various. He, last week we talked about this, that we're to ask God confidently for the wisdom to find joy in our trials. And that's one of the hardest things. It feels like hunting for a needle in a haystack. And you're going, Lord, I know there's supposed to be joy in here. I need wisdom to even find where that is. Now look at verse 12 in your Bibles. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. All of a sudden, he kind of returns to these trials in verse 12 and says, we're blessed if, we're, if we persevere and that there's reward coming. Now, lest we ever, in the book of James, start veering off into a works mentality and saying, I've got to do more, I've got to get more done, God may convict you that you do need to do more, that you do need to be a changed person. That you do need to start living what you say you believe. That's the truth of who you are. It's not what you say, it's what you do. However, there's a possibility for us to just kind of grit our teeth, think that it depends on us. And that's why the song that we just sang that says, Oh no, He never lets go through the highs and through the lows are so important. He's the one who started our faith. He's the one who's going to perfect our faith and see our faith through. Does that mean we're off the hook and we coast and we go, go Jesus, I'll be just in the wagon, you keep pulling. No, there's this back and forth pedaling of a bicycle, right? God's pedaling and you're pedaling. And we just know that we're to obey what God tells us to do. and We leave the rest to Him and what He's going to do. So many different things in life are this way, but I want you to think of something that isn't as it on the surface appears. Things in life often aren't what they appear. You think it's about this, and really it's about something totally different. You thought this was going on, and, and, and really it was, it was something over here. James basically, could, if I could summarize this chapter, and this is really the central truth I want you to, to walk away with this morning, is get an eternal perspective on what's going on. James is talking about troubles, then he goes on to wisdom, then he returns back to trials in verse 12, and sandwiched in between there, all of a sudden there's a little message to the rich and a little message to the poor. Why? James is a little bit of a difficult book to outline, actually, because he tends to jump around somewhat. But what I think this message to the rich and the poor is, I think it's a little for instance. Hey, you're going to experience trials, you're to find joy in the midst of them, they're various... And you're to ask God for wisdom in the midst of those and ask God confidently. Suddenly giving this advice to the rich and the poor is kind of a for instance of what he's been teaching, I think. He contrasts the lifestyle of the rich and the poor and that relates to the various trials. You don't understand this probably well unless you've lived on extreme ends of both. But the rich and the poor both have problems. They both have trials. We're so often tempted to wish, yeah, I wish I had that guy's problem. Aren't you tempted to do that sometimes? 
No, you don't. You, you don't want that guy's problem. You don't understand what it's like to be in that person's shoes. So that's just a fool's errand to go after that. And then this boasting that both are to do, that we'll look at in a second, it sounds an awful lot like counting it all joy from verse 2. So he's talking to the rich, he's talking to the poor, and uses this kind of little sandwich portion that we'll look at this morning and kind of focus on this morning as a for instance of what he's talking about. Each week I've been giving you some cowboy's dumb. That's wisdom from cowboy style. And here it is this week. Sometimes you get, and sometimes you get got. Okay? That's a cowboy just boiling this down to a real simple, you know, dirt in your fingernails kind of a way. And that's life. Isn't that life? That's the abundant life God gives us. Sometimes you get and sometimes you get got. And you never know what next week brings. And that's what keeps life so incredibly interesting, I suppose, for us. Talking about contrasting life situations. I think about these titles in our culture. Let's leave our culture just for a second. I I think we make much of titles in our day and age. And I think we get much of that wrong in terms of what we're doing with those kinds of titles. And so with these titles and with what's going on with that, I want to take you to a different culture for most of you and show you something that's easier in a different culture to see where people get it wrong. If you were to go across the pond, as they say, to the British Isles, you might think about titles there, okay? The Brits have a handle on this. Sir Knight and Duke and Baron and Count. I mean, you could go on and on with this. Now, as a Californian born and raised here and only having stopped in the London airport, that's my extent of of English knowledge, I look at that and I think it's all a bit silly. I don't think it really matters too much to me. I'm not all that impressed with it all, to be totally honest. Now, I'm sure people in England are saying, well, that's highly offensive. This is very meaningful and it's very deep. And they could look, they could turn the lens back on us and say, well, let's check out culture here and see the kinds of titles that we've had. One of my first jobs after being a paperboy was being a bagger. You know what my title was? Anyone been a bagger before? It was a courtesy clerk. Now, a courtesy clerk is taking just kind of a a low rung of the job of of a supermarket world and putting kind of a nicer, pleasant look on it. Now, it looked nicer, I suppose, on my badge than bagger. But you know what people thought of me as as a bagger, right? Because I bagged their groceries. What do baggers do? They're the ones running to clean up things that you people spill, okay? When you take your carts and you leave it all over the place, I'm the one running around trying to get those and collect them back. That's what a bagger does. It's a basic thing. Now, I could go around and kind of go like, I'm the clerk of courtesy, you know, and like really milk that. And people are like, dude, you're a bagger. Just calm yourself, you know. But let's just move up the the ladder a little bit. You know, what happens is people begin to walk around with an air of this. Well, I'm the VP of such and such and so and so. All of a sudden, that VP and the fact that I felt the need to tell you that implies something. It means that I want you to get the respect that I've earned with this title. And in my business world, people who are around me and want my title are going to be very impressed with that title, aren't they? They're going to be, wow, you're the VP of whatever, whatever. Those outside of that, those from England who are already a baron, whatever that is, comes over and says, who cares? That's silly and nonsensical. And whoever's the VP always is put in their place when the president comes in or the CEO comes in. And do you see the ranking that we do with one another in this? And we're constantly doing this. You're a B student. You're an A student. You're you're a screw-up. You're the one that always does the right thing. You're fat. 
you're handsome, you're most likely to succeed. All these labels that people put on us, and sometimes they stick, and sometimes we wear them, and sometimes we're very, very quick to look out and say, that person is that, and we slap that label on them. Don't even have to tell them, but haven't we done already? We've already done something diminishing to them a little bit by just labeling them, even if we never tell them what we think their label is. So titles and labels are a huge part of our culture. Now, rich and poor. We're going to focus on rich and poor because the text focuses on rich rich and poor here. And James is going to get into partiality later on in the book, which we'll be revisiting. How do you define who is rich and poor? I thought of three items, and the way that you use them might help determine in your brain right now if you're rich or poor. Okay, let's go. A shopping cart is either storing things that you're going to buy, or it's used as a backpack. That might be rich or poor for some people. Think about cardboard. How do you use cardboard? Do you use it as a sign to give stuff or to get stuff? That might be an indication of whether you're rich or whether you're poor. We could go on and on with this, but let me give you one more. A trash can, do you throw stuff away there, or are you looking for something to eat or something to take out of that? Okay, Just a quick line in the sand of rich and poor right in our, in our culture. Now, you could kind of balloon this out to the worldwide culture. One of our families has a son who's in Haiti right now. Never been to Haiti, but I can assure you that he is experiencing with his eyes and with his senses and smell and touch, he's experiencing a level of poverty right now that he's never seen before. I don't know if this individual's been to Mexico a whole bunch, but even if he goes to Mexico, you could look at Mexico and say, wow, those that I thought were poor before are really rich. When you suddenly look at someone here who fits the category that we would label immediately, oh, that's a poor person. We could look at them and say, wow, that person's eating way better than what I saw in Haiti. So these labels, in many ways, don't really even mean anything. Everyone in the world, whether rich or poor, high or low status, is really living in a very similar reality, and wealth has the ability to mask it from us. Bible comes along and exposes things for what they really are. Turning your Bibles to Psalm 49. I know I told you, James, we got a couple verses in. We'll be back there. But Psalm 49, turn there. A few years ago, I was in China, and I got to see the graves of some very great Chinese rulers. And I stood over this railing and kind of looked down and saw these different burial sites and excavation sites. And I'll tell you what I saw. As the guide is telling us different things and saying, you know, these are 3,000 years old. And I'm just going, wow, I mean, it's just hard to get my my brain around the, the age of what I'm looking at. And let me tell you about the great works and the great wonders of this or that leader. What I was looking at was a pile of old, dusty bones. Really old, dusty bones. And what I couldn't get my head around was I'm, just, I'm sitting here looking at it. I'm hearing this guy, you know, spout off all the great things this person had done. And I just thought, yeah, but, but they're just dusty bones. Like that's all that it amounted to. And it's humbling to turn around and go, that's all I'm going to amount to. And if this guy was great and had this giant far reach of things, I don't have anywhere near that. No one's going to come and tour my bones, you know, 3,000 years later. 
But it, but it was really revealing to just look at that and say, wow, that's the fate of all people. Psalm 49 verse 1 says this. Listen to the scope. Talking to rich, poor, high, low. Listen to this, all you people. Pay attention, everyone in the world. High and low, rich and poor, listen. Then down to verse 5. Why should I fear when trouble comes? When enemies surround me, they trust in their wealth and boast of great riches, yet they cannot redeem themselves from death by paying a ransom to God. Redemption does not come so easily, for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. These are the themes that we sing about. Written long before Jesus Christ came on the scene. Now look down at verse 15. But as for me, God will redeem my life. He will snatch me from the power of the grave. So don't be dismayed when the wicked grow rich and their homes become even more splendid. For when they die, they take nothing with them. Their wealth will not follow them into the grave. In this life, they consider themselves fortunate and are applauded for their success. But they will die like all before them and never again see the light of day. People who boast in their wealth don't understand. They will die just like animals. You know what shocked me as I read this passage this week? Look at verse 18. New Living Translation translates it this way. In this life, they considered themselves fortunate. I took that phrase and I thought about the American church. And I thought about how many times I have prayed and heard prayed around me how fortunate we are. I'm asking you this. Do you consider yourself fortunate? This morning. It's not wrong to say, yes, I do consider myself fortunate. Here's the penetrating question, and here's why I would circle that in my Bible. The question is this why do you consider yourself fortunate? If over and over and over again, my praise be to God, my thanks be to God, the reason I feel so fortunate is because. I was blessed to be born into a country that's democratic and gives me freedoms. I was born into one of the wealthiest countries in the world. I was born with opportunities to climb and to do things. I was born with my health and all the digits on my fingers. I was born... You see this? You see the pattern? If all of your praise and thanks, if all of the reason you feel fortunate today is in the temporal... How are we different from the person in this passage who set their hopes on things in this world only to have it not follow them to the grave? God has blessed the American church, unquestionably. If we aren't testing that and wondering, God, why would you give us so much? What do you want us to do with this? Instead of just say, we are so fortunate, thank you. I think the Bible has a message for us. We can start to equate the being fortunate with God's love for us, can't we? If we're blessed with stuff or health, that means we're blessed of God. If we're not blessed with health and our stuff goes away, God, where are you? Are we not blessed by you anymore? Do you not love us anymore? I mean, does this cycle sound familiar to you? 
Remember James's title? Look at verse 1. Back in James now. James 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke of what mattered most. Servant. He didn't care about the other titles. They were so far insignificant, he just saw himself as a servant. He related himself back to God. It would be like this. If you got a surprise engagement down at Disneyland, and you come back, girls, and you go back to your girlfriends and they say, so how was Disneyland? And you're like, well, the weather was awesome. The lines were super short. I got this cute little Mickey pin. I got engaged. And when I was buying a churro, the guy messed up on my change, so he gave me a free churro. Now, if you said that straight face, not trying to trick anyone, and it just all ran along in one sentence, wouldn't that seem odd? The answer is yes. It would seem odd. What trumps everything? You don't care about churros if you got engaged at Disneyland, correct? The weather. You're not talking about the weather. The lines are insignificant. You don't care about the rides anymore. The biggest thing, hands down, is you got engaged. The reason the title this morning is just the word title is this. If we can get our heads around this eternal perspective, if we can get our heads around who we are in Christ, so many other things have a way of just washing away, being put into their proper perspective. See yourself as honored, not for who you are, but for who you serve. All right, a quick peek at wealth and money. The Bible has its way of being able to speak to all of life. Not just describing here's what is, like in an observational way, but here's what can be. Instruction for godly living. Here is the instruction for how it should be. What's fascinating is this, everything we're reading here was written so long ago. Tell me if it doesn't apply to our world today. Here's the other amazing thing. These messages that God has put in print for us are available freely the world over. Not just to those who praise His name, walk in His ways, but those who mock His name and despise His ways are privy to the, me- to the message God gives. Look at Proverbs 13.7. Just look at it on the screen. It says this. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Here's a little principle. Wealth and worth can be deceptive. Now, we can see that as descriptive and as observational, but we can also see that as instructional and say, yeah, I observed that to be true, and that's real. Here's another one, Proverbs 19.4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. And kind of the overriding principle there is that wealth distorts relationships. We would look at that and say the world over, yes, that is true. And it's even instructive for us moving forward. The one that wrote that, Solomon, maybe he didn't write that because he was so very wise, although he was very wise, but maybe he wrote that because he was exceedingly rich. And he just lived it. Man, when you got money, people want to come help you spend it. When it goes away, all of a sudden the phone calls stop coming and, and they're gone. And it just has this penetrating way to show what's really there. As I started with, many things in life aren't what they seem. The relationship you thought you had when times were good versus when times were evil. Now, just in our day and age, can you think of any conflict right now between the rich and the poor? I mean, any at all. Let's just, I mean, let's just, try, to, let's just try to stretch our minds here a little bit and think about this. May Day, worldwide rioting. 
because of the haves and the have-nots. Occupy everything. I mean, it's just everywhere, right? And this struggle going on back and forth. Again, we're going to get to this in chapter 4. What's the conflict all about? James doesn't just observe, hey, by the way, there's been conflict between the rich and the poor. I could do that uninspired. James, though, says, here's what appears to be the the struggle. If only we could make things equitable, it'd be good. James goes beneath that in verse, in chapter 4, and we're going to get to this where he says this. He goes into detail about evil desires to acquire and the jealousy that persists and the whole reason for conflicts and quarrels and fights that go on among them. And I don't have to go and look at the newspaper headlines for this. All I have to do is come down to breakfast. That's it. It's in my own home. I see the same thing. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And I go, wow, it's there. And lest I think it's just my kids who are not as mature as I, I see it in my own self. Dave, what causes fights and quarrels in you? I mean, it's as intimate as my own skin and my own blood coursing through my body that I say, I get this. And God, we need help out of it. Money is a great indicator of your spiritual condition, and that's why Jesus spoke often of money. James, his half-brother, follows suit. He speaks a lot about wealth. We're going to come back to wealth many different times in this book of James. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is the root of what? All kinds of evil. James picks up on a few. Chapter 2, it leads to partiality. Chapter 4, it leads to boasting. Chapter 5, it leads to self-indulgence. That's just three. But loving money leads to all kinds of evil. Central truth this morning, get an eternal perspective. The only poverty to really fear is your own wretchedness before a holy God. And the blessing, the joy, is that Jesus paid that for us and gave us riches that can't be stolen or lost. Those of you who are losers, meaning you'll lose stuff left and right, it's valuable to me. I don't know why I keep losing it. God's given you riches that can't be stolen or lost. And the only wealth that lasts, the crown of life, or to put it another way, the title of son and daughter, given to us, true riches from God. James 1.9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. If you're poor, that's the message to you this morning. Boast in your exaltation. If you're rich, I'll let you decide which one you are. James 1.10, and to the rich in his humiliation. Now, maybe because James is fairly brief, he doesn't go into some lengthy explanation of what he's talking about. In essence, he leaves it to our own imagination and to our own putting together what is he talking about specifically in those things. In our groups, as a family, with further study, you can, you can dive into that more. Let me just say this about it. Knowing that things aren't often as they appear, consider what does the poor person have to exalt in? What does a poor person have to exalt in? And then consider, stop. Think about, invest some energy into this. What does the rich person have to to exalt in, to glory in, that's humiliating? You know where this makes sense? 
You know what it begins to make sense is if you are a child of God and you're sitting at the family table. If you're a child of God, then you can start to get your head around what this could be. If you take God out of this and you, and you just live life under the sun, as Ecclesiastes likes to use the phrase, I don't know how you make sense of this a whole bunch. But I think at the family table, it begins to give some structure. I want to spend the rest of our time with special instruction to the rich that James goes ahead and gives to us. He doesn't comment more on the brother of lowly position, but he takes a whole nother verse and a half to talk about the rich man. And I've got a couple of reasons, I think, that he's doing that. One is because in James's world, just like in our world, people tend to trust in their riches. They're boasting about, uh, about finding comfort in and they're trusting in their riches. That is a temptation that people have the world over. If only I had X, Y, Z, these problems would be going away. I don't know that it's a huge struggle for people. I don't know that people boast and find comfort in and trust in all that they don't possess. That's not a struggle for most of us. I've, I don't think I've ever had someone come and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm poor. I don't have anything. And I'm putting all my trust in that. I've got so much comfort from having nothing and starving. That's just not a temptation for us, is it? But every one of us this week, if we were to just play back our week, we'd probably think in our mind's eye, you know what, I took a lingering glance just going, man, it'd be nice to drive that car right there. It'd be nice to have that pair of shoes, ladies. Maybe guys, I don't know. I wear flip-flops, so I don't notice other guys' shoes. I wish I had that girlfriend right there. I wonder what it'd be like to live in that house right there. I wonder what that guy's job is like over there. On and on we can go. It can get really petty and silly. I wonder what uh, application that guy's got on his iPhone over there. Right? <laughs> Stupid stuff. The, the reality is we tend toward putting our trust in wealth. Here's a second reason I think there's special instruction to the rich. Because the rich are actually on a more perilous journey due to the many pitfalls that wealth exposes to rich pilgrims. I say this because the Bible teaches it. Luke 18.24, Jesus is talking to what's sometimes called the rich young ruler. And the guy goes away sad. He goes away sad and Jesus says this, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. We ought to stand up and take notice of that. Even if you feel poor in the Silicon Valley, I've listed three items, a shopping cart, cardboard, and a garbage can. We could add a tarp to that. We could add different items. The way you use items indicates, brothers and sisters, most sitting in here right now are rich. How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. 1 Timothy 6.9 reveals that wealth blinds people. It says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
One translation says this, some have even wandered from the faith. Like it's incredulous to Paul as he writes this to Timothy. Can you imagine that someone would make this trade? They found the pearl of great price. They've joyfully sold everything so they could obtain salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And then for some reason, they've gone after the world's wealth and they've even wandered away from the faith. Brothers and sisters who are eating three squares a day, we ought to take up and stand up and take notice of this. Their special instruction to the rich. Nicole. I need you to come on up here for a second. Nicole's going to help me out. She doesn't know anything about this, but she is a great sport, and she knows how to do some things. I need you to open that and start blowing bubbles from right here. Okay? Thank you. Now, look at, look at, uh, at the passage here. James goes on. Don't blow them at me. Blow them this way. More at Jonathan. There you go. Now, I want you to just, just listen to this as this is going on. Verse 10, And the rich man in his simulation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will be the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You know what that is right there? You know what these are? Rich people. Rich people, there they are. And what happens is we see rich people and go, Wow! They're like bending light. They're floating along carelessly. Some are big, some are little. Look at how beautiful they are. We all stand up and take notice. And then here's what I want you to do. Watch this one. Okay? Watch that one. Okay, it's gone. Now, describe that one in detail about all its glory. Tell me all about it. It was, it was too quick to even remember. It's gone. It's, I mean, frankly, it's... You can stop now. Thank you so much. She's starting to get into this. Give it up for Nicole. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Yesterday, I'm walking, I'm walking with my son. I know that we're going to have bubbles in church, which is just kind of cool. I like that. And I'm walking with my son, and I happen to come around this corner, and I see this little girl, and she's sitting here, and she's mesmerized by this, by this little bubble that's been blown. And it's a pretty hefty bubble, and it's just right there. And she's just like this sweetest can be, just looking at it, admiring it. And we come walking up, and my son is walking next to me, and he goes... And just walk, and we just keep walking. And I was heartbroken. I was like, do you know what you just did? He's like, what? I'm like, you just killed a rich person. No. He's like, what? I said, I said, Karen, I said, there was a little girl. She was, I said, you just popped her, like, she was mesmerized by that. And here was his response, which I thought was funny. He goes, I feel like such a teenager. (laughs) Now, he had no idea bubbles were coming today. So now he sees why I responded even stronger about bubbles than I would have normally on average day. But isn't it interesting that that rich people are just like that? Here we are in our seats tied to gravity, and they seem to be floating above us. They seem to be doing things that no one can do. And in a whisper, they're gone. And if we were trying to describe one from another and say, what really is the lasting glory of that? We, We can't do it. That's the picture, if we could kind of speed up time, that's the picture, because even flowering grass to us might be lost on us, right? Because we live in the moment, we need to see it now. But that is the vain hope of putting our hope and our joy and our comfort and our identity in being a bubble. That really is, here today 
and gone tomorrow. Let me just ask you this, and this is only you can answer this. I can't answer this for you. Your community group, group can't answer it for you. You have to answer this before God. Are you being duped into thinking somehow that this is going to last? Are you giving more weight in your conversation and in your week and in your emotional energy and in your pocketbook to this right here? Or to the cross of Christ and to the the weighty matters that intellectually you can know the answer to, but just backtrack on this last week. What are you giving importance to? Because I think if we are investing heavily in bubbles, you know what you know what the reality is? What that says about us is this. We don't believe this message to be true. We don't. We think bubbles are going to be around quite a while and it's worth investing in bubbles. That's, that's what our actions would say if that is the case. What I love about that picture too is as one could be floating along, in the midst of his pursuits, the rich man's going to disappear. Right when things are going good, he's on his way up. All eyes are on him. People are envying him. They're taking pictures of him. The paparazzi are following him. We all want to know what's going on with the bubble, and it's gone. Man, the recession of this area has taught us a lot in these last several years. You know who's going a different kind of recession right now that puts it in perspective? Somalia. It's called famine. It's a whole different class of recession, right? And all of a sudden, we start thinking about bubbles and what matters and what's going to last and what are we really pouring ourselves into. Wealth has a grand purpose. Just listen to Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. What this passage is saying is this, though. Lack of wealth has a grand purpose as well. You know what it is? Honor the Lord with your lack of wealth. Honor the Lord if you've been blessed with wealth. Honor the Lord if you don't have any wealth. Think about what a watching world would see if they saw Christians rich and poor in the same church. And to the one who had nothing... They just made so much of Christ and spoke of every spiritual blessing that they know is theirs. They don't speak about it like it's coming one day. They possess it right now. They're walking in eternal life right now. People could look at that and just say, wow, that's, that's just incredible. I could never do that. I think it would speak maybe even louder in our culture when someone who has the ability to have a whole fleet of bubbles going on and organizing a bubble kingdom. And someone wants to come and say, how do you do it, man? Bubbles are where it's at! I've got to get me bubbles! And here's what you say, listen. Bubbles. You're like, away with bubbles, man. Let, let me tell you what my life is about. Bubbles are going away. Bubbles are stupid. I mean, they're, it's just kids' toy. It's kind of cool to look at here and there. But let me tell you where it's at. Let me tell you what my life is all about. And not waiting for one moment in a decade, but that just pours out of you. Because that's what gets proper rate. Do you see how Christ being glorified by the rich and by the poor alike begins to form just this beautiful picture? Honor the Lord with your wealth. That's the grand purpose of wealth. Honor the Lord 
in your lack. Exalt in all that you possess in Christ. We can be thankful today that wealth and riches, probably like few other things in life, are an incredible barometer to see just how you're doing spiritually. Jesus used this all the time. It's why he talked about money quite a bit. It's one of those tangible areas. When someone comes, I ask this question all the time. Jonathan, how's your walk going, man? When I say, how's your walk going, that's part of our Christianese language. We're just saying, how, talk to me about you and Jesus. Where are you at with the Lord right now? Where's your head at? Are you, are you fixed on the eternal things? Are you, are you muddling around and think, how are you doing? That's what that means, right? Money, and somebody's answering that question can be kind of challenging. People ask me that. It's hard to know, right? I don't know. I mean, it's not like there's a, it's not like there's really a graded 1 through 10 that you can say, well, I'm right around a B plus. 89.2%. You know, I've got it all in a spreadsheet. That's just not how it works. But one of those measuring sticks, one of those thermometers is money. And again, the interesting thing is, is we can put on a show. Jesus exposed those who looked like they were doing one thing, giving, giving extravagantly to the church. And he exposed it for what it was when he said, man, I tell you the truth, this, this woman who came and gave a tiny amount gave all that she had. She gave sacrificially. It had no control on her. Back to the central truth. Get an eternal perspective. Two sentences just to to linger on. Live out the title that matters most. If you are a son or a daughter of the Most High King today, that trumps everything else. Now I know it doesn't always, and that's why we need to be spurred on and reminded and chastised and lovingly brought back and with other Christians that remind us of what's real. But that is the title that matters the most. Not even husband, father, great things, great relational things, good things that God has blessed. That is far more insignificant than son and daughter. Romans 8.16 says this, The Spirit Himself, the Holy Spirit that is, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That Jesus took our poverty and gave us riches so that we share in the inheritance, that's the big picture. That's the eternal perspective that I say, get. How do you get it? Read the first part of James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God with faith, without doubting. That's how you get it. Here's the second sentence. Live each day with the end in sight. 1 Timothy 6.17 As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Listen to some instruction for us. Not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Did you catch that? Do all these things. Don't be haughty. Be rich in good works so that you can take hold of that which is truly valuable. 
eternal life. Here I see a few things. One is to walk with those who steer you to what's real. There are those in our midst and those that you know that are genuinely humble. They're not haughty in their wealth. You don't even hear them talk about their position and what they do. They don't want to talk about that stuff. Because frankly, it's not that eternal and that important to them. Part of their life, but that's not where they linger. Walk with those who do good. The neighborhood workabout is an interesting event because what I love is every single time we've done one of these, every spring, every fall, as an organized thing, what it's doing is it's giving opportunity for people who've never taken that step to do it to say, let me kind of see how this is done in community. Let me go with a group of people to see how this is done. It's even more thrilling when I hear just a family, just an individual that just says, man, that has begun to cultivate a servant's heart towards people. You know what I'm starting to do? I'm starting to notice needs of people. Wow! That's a change. All of a sudden, I'm really listening when someone talks to me, and I don't just check out and just kind of wait to tell them what I want to tell them. Man, that's God growing in me a genuine care for people. We ought to have neighborhood workabouts that are planned and organized, but also spontaneous and unstructured. That same picture, that same model of just being a blessing. Sometimes God lines this up really, really well for us. We were given a meal not that long ago, and, and we just were given a lot, and we happened to have some drop-in visitors, and we just, we just said, man, how perfect that we have a lot of food, so we shared it. There's other times where I've received, I've had things, and I've just thought, man, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. And at some point, a still small voice says, you know, stop thanking me and share. Give some of that away. I'm glad you're thankful, but it's not meant to just kind of store up for yourself. Be giving it away. Be giving it away. Honor God with your wealth. Do you know that with money, every time that you freely give, every time you write a check, every time you click on your web browser, every time you put cash, you know what you're doing? You're declaring independence from money. And some of you spiritually, that's been a giant marker in your life. You're like, wow, wow, that was one of the last strongholds that I knew God was really at work. Because I'll part with a lot of stuff, but not with my money. Not the right way. I've given before in church, kind of like as a payment, or as because I thought you are supposed to do that, or because that's what mom and dad taught me to do. But man, what a difference to say, man, I joyfully give this away. God, how much can I give? I mean, I just want to give to this. What else can I do? I've given, I I want to give some more. We're to be ready to share generous with our stuff, with our money, with our energy, with our time. From a few scriptures, I just want to leave you with a few signs that you might be getting this. I'm going to put these in I have type statements. And you just write number one. If you're taking notes, you just write down a one, two, three, four down the page. And you can just put a yes or no to this. Okay? These are just, just a few samplings of some signs that you might be getting this. Number one, from Luke 14. I won't read it. But I have thrown a party for those who can't repay me. You ever throw a party or a dinner and invite those, not your siblings, not your friends, not those down the street, not those who could possibly repay you and and do it in return? Check out Luke 14 sometime. You'll see more what I mean. Number two, I love God's presence more than money. 
I love God's presence more than money. This is shown by how much I'm constantly talking and thinking about Him. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's linking love of money with the love of God's presence. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Oh, okay. Then the cash problem maybe isn't so much of a cash problem. It's a different kind of a problem. Number three, I live by a biblical standard of living. This one's painful. You ready? 1 Timothy 6.8 But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. I hope that kind of lands heavy on your chest. I think you're listening and I think you're sensitive to the Spirit right now if that sits uncomfortably in this room, because it should. It sits uncomfortably at the tip of my tongue as I speak it. That's a biblical standard of living. Number four, I joyfully sacrifice now as I am living for the greater reward later. Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the month of May, we have specifically designated some time in our community groups to say we're just going to form a bunch of prayer groups each week in the month of May. Instead of lingering over the text, which I'd still encourage you to do, we're just going to go to the Lord in prayer. Isn't it easier to talk about prayer requests than pray? Don't you find yourself lingering, discussing, let's talk about, let's read books on prayer. Instead of just getting on your knees in your prayer closet and praying. So what we've said is, the month of May is in no way like, oh good, let's get that out of the way so we have the prayer done for the year. Rather we say, God, would you stir up in us in this month of May as we just humbly bow our knees, would you teach us how to do it? Show us who you are. So in our services, uh, we've, we all have the ability to just have patterns and, and rituals that go on. And we're as guilty as the next church. One of the things that can be kind of rote and kind of religious in its just repetitiveness is to pray over people's prayer requests at a certain part in the service. And just pray for, you know, Deacon Bob's elbow and, you know, Aunt Martha's baking skills or what, you know, whatever's going on. And we just kind of pray. And sometimes that can just, we can get kind of sleepy with that, can't we? We can do that with a prayer before a meal or a prayer at bedtime, frankly. But for us, here's what we want to do. We want to take some special time in our services in the month of May. And we want to say, God, we want to designate some time just to pray. So here's what I want to do. Uh, I want the band to come on up. And in just a minute, they're going to be leading us in some more singing. And we're going to have an opportunity to respond to the Lord in prayer 
in our own silence of not singing what's going on, of giving joyfully and freely of our money to God, and of singing these truths that we're talking about. But before we do that, I want to have us close our eyes and go to prayer, and I would like you to stand up if you are having money problems right now. Now before you stand up, let me clarify, in light of the scripture that we just read, lest we look in our face in a mirror and forget, right? In light of what we just read, here's what I'm opening this up to. It might be a cash problem that you have. If that's true, I want you to stand up. I want brothers and sisters around you to just lay hands on you and pray as I lead us out. But I'm wondering if it's not a cash problem, but more of a clarity problem. I want people in this room who have a cash problem to stand up, but maybe more so I want people to stand up and say, you know what, in some big or small way, money's had a hold on me. I've been chasing bubbles in some way, shape, or form. So I'm going to ask you to stand up. It's going to take some humility, and that's okay. And if someone stands up near you, I want you just to gather around and acknowledge them by putting an arm around them, by laying hands on them. I'm going to pray for us as a congregation. And specifically, I'm going to pray for those who are standing. Now, we won't know if you're standing up if it's because you have a shortage of money. I've got more bills than I can handle. <laughs> or if there's a bondage issue that you're just confessing, and this is a way of confessing between before your brothers and sisters. I don't want this to have bondage on me. The way sin loses its grip and its power is you bring it into the light. You say, I just freely confess this, and I, I run to the, to the cross of Christ, and I'm freely forgiven for this. So, right now, without delay, if you have need to stand up due to some money issues, I want you to stand up right now, and we'll, and we'll pray. And just gather around those who are standing. Turn your head around so we just have some people that are, that are ministering to those uh, in our midst. If someone's not near you, go stand up right now and go be near them and get an arm around them. Lay hands on them. We have some in the back that people need to get up and go to. Thank you. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And then we'll uh, dismiss to lunch today and get to just keep the worship service going over a meal. <clears throat> God, we praise you right now for the title of son and of daughter that you have bestowed on sinful, wretched people. On those who are good and moral and wretched. On those who are disgusting and filthy and running from you and are wretched. You've been gracious to us, God. We thank you for giving us the true riches of heaven and an eye to see and a mind to understand what we really possess in Jesus Christ such that it makes everything else pale in comparison. God, we have needs in our body right now that are real and that are tangible. And we don't want to be those that say, blessings on you and do nothing about it. God, would you well up in us a spirit of generosity that says, my stuff is your stuff. It doesn't matter. I want you to have so that you don't lack. 
And I want to give away so that I don't have too much. God, we don't look to government to manage that for us. That will never be the answer. We don't look to our own goodness to muster up some good charity now and then. God, You're a generous and giving God. Would You put that Spirit in us, Lord? Father, we promise that when these stories percolate, when it shows up that You're moving in our midst like we see in the early church, that no brother or sister is lacking because of the the generosity and the sacrificial giving of the family that will look to that and say, that can only be because the Spirit of the risen Jesus Christ resides in that person and in their midst. God, I pray freedom from the bondage of stuff, from the bondage that money holds on people in the church in this city. God, would you free us from it to such a radical degree that people will humble themselves that don't ever have an interest in religion, but they have to know what it is that we have that makes us not care like everyone else about our things. Father, we thank you for letting us walk through trials so that our eyes can be lifted from the temporal to that which is eternal. We love you. We magnify you this morning. We do that with our mouth, with our bodies, with our tears, with our successes, with our trials, and with our money. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. We need you this morning, Jesus, to do a work in our midst. And all God's people said,